Music for the Beast Smith Podcast is brought to you by 16OS. You can check him out at im16os.com. That's im16os.com. Who do you? Oh, you ain't know. You ain't know. Oh, looking at the man right now. Looking at the man right now. Said we was coming and they see we wasn't playing right now. We ain't playing right now. Say I won't make it. You up with what you saying right now? Is you saying right now? I'm the man, right? That's right, new episode of the B-Smith Podcast is here. Thank you so much for downloading wherever you can find this, whether it's on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes. I'm in all of those places, so make sure that you tell your friends about the podcast. I could really use the listens. And make sure that if you are listening, you go rate and review me on iTunes. That helps other people find and support the podcast, so appreciate y'all for doing that. This week, we got a great episode. My man, Emmanuel. Finally, after I begged him for months, I showed up at his door. I knocked on the door. I said, man, you have got to get back on the show. I didn't really do all that, but um, I did kind of Twitter harass him until he finally came around. And this week, we're going to be talking Outcast, Organized Noise, Dungeon Family. All right, we're going to be talking Outcast albums. We're going to be talking whether or not the Goody Mob got their fair share, who is the most successful member of the Dungeon Family, and everybody's favorite topic. Which Outcast album was the best and which one was the worst? All that and a lot more coming up a little bit later in the show. But before we get into that, normally I usually give a beer recommendation at about this time. I say normally, I've done it like once. I like to give a beer recommendation at about this time because usually when I'm recording these, when I'm preparing for these, I'm drinking. And I'm not an alcoholic, but I do enjoy a fine brew. However, this week, Schedule got kind of out of whack. I ended up spending all my beer money in one day. I went down to Just Tap and Make It on Sunday and had myself a good old time. So, doing a sober podcast this week, but uh, that's okay. One more thing I want to do before we get into the interview with Emmanuel is give a shout out to one of my favorite follows on Twitter. And if you'd like to be a part of my shout out segment, just drop me a line. Again, you can follow me at B Smith Podcast. Follow at Stereo Williams. All right. At Stereo Williams is the editor in chief at theboombox.com and he drops a lot of dope opinions on music. And this, he's a cool dude. He's actually from Fort Valley, Georgia, not too far from where I went to school down at Georgia College in Milledgeville. And he actually uh, dropped some news the other day about the Dungeon Family, the topic of today's podcast, having a reunion concert coming up later this year at the One Music Fest in Atlanta. So if you all like the DF, I'm assuming you probably do if you're listening to this, or if you don't, by the time you get done, you will. Again, don't forget, uh, follow at Stereo Williams. He broke the story about Dungeon Family getting back together later this year, and I'm sure he'll have lots of great music insights coming up, as he always does. Without further ado, we will get to the podcast, and we're going to lead into that with... uh, this verse of the week it actually comes from outcast and it was their first verse on a released single and people don't realize this because everybody says even really big outcast fans say oh the first time outcast came out was on players ball which isn't exactly true it was actually on this remix to tlc's what about your friends and if you listen to this and me and man we'll talk about it a little bit later on the podcast but this outcast does not sound anything like the one that we are all accustomed to. So this is, this is going to be a real treat if you haven't listened to it before. Emmanuel talking Dungeon Family. It's the Beast Smith Podcast. Don't go on. Well, good giggly boogly, I'm attacking like a teacher. Like I'm rhymes in my leisure. Time when I need to put teach other out to the sea. What I be saying, getting loose on the track. But underground is where I'm staying. So hit, 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 hit. Organizers coming in. Do the spin like the OJ. But what about your friends to the end? Will they run out like a people? Or you find a fucking close to your side? Like a big bus of three. 
so I gave the nigga the tricks Cause I was his friend, wasn't down for the weekend You call me your friend, for sharing about to take and take a tick And keep on licking while you're dipping for the border You said you'd be down for richer, for poorer But O-U-T-K-A-S-T-A, no change So TLC, go ahead and say, baby You remember back in 96, uh, there was a lot going on in Atlanta Obviously with the Olympics And um, also, at the time, there was this group This group called Outcast yeah, this 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 you know random strange group that you know I've never heard of before. <laughs> but but you know what's funny about that though is around the time of summer '96, there were probably a lot of people who had those same sentiments because oh, yeah. that was um, had AT Aliens come out by then by July '96. Uh, uh, I guess we can look that up real quick. Yeah, let me. I have to look that up. Um, if, if it had, it was you know obviously pretty brand new. So, AT Aliens was released on August 27th, 96. So, I, I guess a single was out by the time sure, uh, sure. July 96. Um, so, yeah, but but they were, they were still pretty fresh, though. They only had a Southern Playlistic that was out at that point. Yeah. And um, I guess the uh, the larger collective, uh, the Dungeon Family, Organized mm-hmm. Noise, Outkast, Goody Mob, all of them, about mm-hmm. 96, had, uh, had really at least made their entry into the rap world and... By the time we get to 2016, we see that they've had a tremendous impact. Um, and a, a lot of that was covered in the Netflix documentary, The yes. Art of Organized Noise. Uh, what did you think about it, man? Thumbs up, thumbs down? Yeah, I, I gave it a thumbs up, man. It was actually um, more, more thorough than I thought it would be. Um, you know, I'm, I'm somebody who is, you know, a huge fan of Organized Noise, Dungeon Family, Outcast in particular, uh, and also Good Mob. Uh, but you know, be honest with you, I, my my true introduction to them really didn't come until college. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was aware of Outkast and, and company back in you know the late '90s and whatnot, but I wasn't really allowed to listen to to secular music growing up uh, because of my church upbringing. So it wasn't until 2003 that I, I really got a chance to delve deep into their catalog and, and absorb it. Um, so I really kind of worked my way backwards from Speaker Box to Love Below and then, you know, ATL and Southern Playalistic, Equiminize, Stankonia, et cetera. Uh, but I thought the the documentary itself, I thought it, you know, it, it really covered some some aspects of the Dungeon family that I hadn't heard before. I mean, of course, I knew about the Dungeon and the legacy that it had. Um, but, you know, it was really refreshing to kind of hear from, you know, the actual members of Organized Noise in particular, just because. I feel like Organized Noise is probably um, the most underrated um, production trio or just 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 producers uh, probably ever in hip hop. Um, and I think the fact that they're from the South has something to do with that as well. Um, oh, yeah. But it was just great to kind of hear about the legacy of DF strictly from their perspective um, being centered. Uh, you know, hearing Rico Wade talk and, you know, you know, all these colorful stories that he had. And it was just I, I really appreciated and enjoyed it. Um, and, you know, I knew about their influence on, of course, being responsible for Waterfalls by TLC. But I honestly had forgotten about it. Uh, and I was like, oh, wow, that's right. <laughs> they did produce well, Waterfalls. <laughs> and for people who don't know, in case there's like any 12 year olds listening Waterfalls was was not only a um, a hit record in uh, urban music. It was at, at the time it was pretty much the, uh, the 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 number one song out there in music. Period. Yeah, yeah. In music. Period. So for organized noise to produce that track and for them to 
come across as so normal in right. this documentary. That's what struck me was right. that you got these guys who weren't just local sensations, weren't just regional sensations, weren't just, you know, the creators of a song that was uh, hot for a little while, but had major, right. major records right. behind their name and major, major artists behind their name. And they just, they really struck me as still being three normal cats from the South. And um, the thing that I liked about the documentary the most, um, being from Georgia, being from Atlanta, was that it felt very authentic. Um, very. And this this, very. this is something that I'll, that I'll talk about a little bit later, but it seems like nowadays there's this uh, Hollywood version of the South that people have, have clung to as being what it's really all about. People look at, like, Real Housewives and living hip-hop, and they're like, oh, that, that's what it's like to live in Atlanta. That's what it's right. like to live in Georgia. But that's not anybody who's really from here right? That's really the- <laughs> knows that that's not the case. Right. Um, and I, I feel like this documentary really, really captured that. You know, because, like, when I think about when I think about my family and when I think about my friends who are from the state of Georgia, they look more like organized noise and they sound more like organized noise and Rico Wade and Outkast and all them than they do uh, Nene Leakes, which I think, exactly. is she is she from Georgia? I don't know. But, I, I have no clue, but yeah. <laughs> but but, but you know what I'm saying, that, that yeah. whole fake vibe. I'm like, that's really not how people from here act. Right. Right. You might have heard Emmanuel's baby daughter in the background, and she was really excited about Outcast, so he had to take care of that real quick, but we picked up back where we left off. And duty calls, literally. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was going to say that. That's funny. Oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, but picking picking things back up, uh, again, the, the documentary I felt like was really authentic to the mm-hmm. South, which is hard to find these days. Um you mentioned Rico Wade. I felt like he was the star of the show. He was. He was. But not for not for good reasons. <laughs> um, at least not from my perspective. Because when I first turned it on, the first thing I thought was, "Wow, that's uh-huh. not how I expected him to talk." And then as it right. went on, it was like, "Okay, that's a little weird." And by the end of it, I was like, "Is he okay?" Like it turned. In, first, I thought it was strange, and then I became concerned. Because it seemed as though his behavior and his speech patterns and his demeanor were were the, were that of somebody who is very um, erratic, like and at best eccentric and at worst erratic. It was like uh-huh. I don't know. I just I, I I felt for him. I was like, is is everything all right? Like is is everything all right inside? You know? Yeah. I I, I just I guess. When I was watching, I just got the impression that, you know, he felt very strongly about, you know, especially certain parts of that documentary when they were talking about how, say, for instance, they didn't get credit or, or even get, um, I guess, asked to do any production on Outkast's biggest album to date. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got I just got the impression that this is probably the first time that he's had a chance to to really parlay those feelings in a public space. Um, yeah. So, you know, he had a lot of emotions to get out. Um, it just seemed like that's kind of like how he always was, though, and just based on a lot of the descriptions of, of Rico Wade. And, you know, he just seemed like he was talking about earlier. They seemed like regular guys. I just kind of got that impression from him. Like, he's always been like that, just, you know, really um, demonstrative, right? you know, cool, cool, round-the-way type of guy. Uh, obviously very talented. Right. Um, but it was also kind of sad for me, just as as the documentary kind of turned to that point, 
mm-hmm. uh, the early early two thousands as they you know approach speaker box the love below and how they were talking about how you know he they didn't even ask us to produce on their biggest album um so i i kind of felt his pain there um but it's just you know it's just one of those things yeah and i i I can definitely understand that as well because it's almost like if you have if you're say dating somebody Mm -hmm. and when you first meet them Maybe they're a little down on their luck. Maybe they have low self self esteem. Just, just, just something like that. They're 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 not reaching their full potential. And you kind of take what you have and you build them up and you build them up and you build them up. And then it's like once they get all their stuff together, they're like, okay, thanks. Now I'm gonna go date somebody else. Yeah. And you're yes. gone. To me, that's so what I, it seemed like. I, I, and I, I think that that severing of the relationship as you said, definitely hurt him. And you can see why it would. Yeah, yeah, I know I'd be salty about it. Um, I was actually, because um, as the documentary came to a close, it was pre- also pretty obvious that despite that rift or, or that perceived slight, they were still cool, at least cool enough for, for Rico Wade to have recorded that interview in Stankonia Studios. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Right. Um, so I guess they kind of patched things up to a, to a certain degree, but uh, you can tell he still kind of harbors that hurt, uh, which is perfectly understandable uh, and perfectly human. Um, but I did, I definitely appreciated the the spotlight on, on Rico Wade. I, I guess I just saw it a little bit differently than you, just in terms of how he was, you know, talking and, and whatnot. Um, but I, I appreciated that because that was my first time really. I think that was probably the first time I had seen him interviewed. Of course, I knew about Sleepy Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all, and you know, I've listened to some of his albums and everything, but Rico Wade in particular, um, I hadn't heard much from, so that that was pretty cool. Yeah, I hadn't either. And like I said, I think it was more. I think it was more like when you, it's like the effect of when you see somebody for the first time, like somebody who you've listened to on the radio and you don't know what they look like, and it's just that shock of, oh, I didn't expect you to look like that. I right. think that's what it mostly was. Like I just, I, I just didn't expect that, and I guess you never expect somebody to be so. Um, demonstrative yeah. like you mentioned so it was a little jarring at first but i i think it was just the um the the unexpected nature of it but uh going back to particularly speaker box love below um sure. yeah i think anybody who's listened to it and has listened to other outcast albums can definitely tell that there oh. was a a strong difference me personally mm-hmm. i feel like i i i differ from a lot of people in that I like Speaker Box more than I like The Love Below. You know what's funny about that? Um, I think initially more people were were liking The Love Below more just because of, um, you know, well, both albums had had huge hits. But The Love Below was what really, I think, caught on um, to the mainstream or I guess white people just put it out there. Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, but but I think as time has gone on, no, it's, it's been, what, 13 years now. Which is amazing to me, um, but you know I apologize. My daughter's in the background. I hope she's not into. <laughs> no man, no. Good, she's playing with blocks over there. But <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. Yeah, but you know, thirteen years later, I feel like this. I feel like Speaker Box had a little bit more. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Staying power or, or, or longevity? Yes. Uh, not to say that I still don't love the love below because I do, but I, I feel like Speaker Box. I feel like it's just now getting its credit from a lot of people uh, in terms of how eclectic it was um, and, and what Big Boy was trying to do there. 
Well, I uh, remember it when I was in I was I was in high school when it came out, and I remember people got it. This was back when people used to actually announce album release dates. I guess that's not right, really a right. thing anymore. <laughs> but back then, kids, when people when you knew the album was coming out three months before it actually did, and the date it was. People would go to the stores on the day it came out and get really excited. So I remember I was sitting in the band room and uh-huh. um, everybody's has their copies and everybody's listening to it. And it was like the overwhelming consensus was that, oh my gosh, the love below is so amazing. And I, I, right. I just didn't hear it because when I think about Outkast, uh, my personal favorite album of theirs, after listening to each and every one with the exception of Idlewild, Idlewild I could uh-huh. barely sit through, but. Uh, <laughs> Wait a I, sec, hold on. I, look, we we, we got to talk about Idlewild too, but I'm not going to hijack the conversation. Go ahead. Idlewild was half-assed, and everybody <laughs> knows it. But well, uh, Idlewild, I, it's definitely my least favorite. It had, uh, it had, its, it had its moments, but it just felt it felt like they said, you know what, we got like one album left on the contract. That's what it well, felt like. I guess my thing with Idlewild because. You know, when I look at the songs, the songs were not bad. Like, it had a lot of great songs on yeah, it. But definitely. I think the main issue I have with Idlewild is just, it, it, I, I don't think there was a clear distinction between whether it was an album or a soundtrack for the movie. or Because uh, I think that duality of trying to be both is what kind of made it a lot less cohesive than what we were used to with Outkast albums. But I still maintain it was pretty solid quality-wise, to me anyway. Um but I understand <laughs> if you disagree. I like Idlewild better than The Love Below. I, d- I just really don't like The Love Below. Really? Yeah. Wow. It's just, well, it, it just didn't do it for me. And I, I'm trying to, because, you know, I'm, I'm trying to transport myself back to Fall 03 when I first heard both albums. Um, because I did gravitate toward The Love Below more, even though I, I still liked Speaker Box when I first heard it also. Um I guess it's maybe a combination of things, you know, the love below having, I guess, the bigger hits that were everywhere besides Hey Ya, because Hey Ya, even though it was a huge hit, uh, it, it really kind of turned off a lot of true Outkast fans, I feel like. Um, if I never hear that song again, <laughs> oh, it was, it was happy, everywhere. Um, but, you know, you had songs like Roses and, and um, she you lives know, Fred, the, the Prototype. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you, you had a lot of different songs that I feel like the Love Below had more songs that resonated with more people at that time um, for whatever reason. And then, of course, you had like the skits that kind of brought it all together. Um, you know, Behold, A Lay Day and, and all that. And, you know, whose Ken idea Fon- was it to put Fonsworth Bentley on the album? <laughs> well, remember Fon- at that time, Bentley was everywhere. In 03. But it, it, oh, it makes it feel so dated when you listen to it now. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember when he was popular. <laughs> true, true, true. Um, but, you know, I still look back fondly on the love below. I, but I, I guess just, just in terms of it, at the time, it felt more creative. Um, and, and I remember trying to compare it to Speaker Box. And again, I liked Speaker Box at the time. But I think during that time period, a lot of people were. were thinking of love below as the more experimental risk-taking album uh and with big boys i think one of the criticisms that i remember hearing is just that he had so many guests on that album Um, (laughs) (laughs) so i mean he had a couple of songs that he just did solo but you know out of what 18 19 20 tracks it was probably only three or so that he did by himself um and and i think that might have taken away from um 
what a lot of people kind of saw as the quality of the album, um, just in terms of maybe his artistic direction. But it was still jamming. Yeah, I mean, it was jamming like a mug. I mean, I, I still remember, uh, even though Hey Y'all was the bigger hit, uh, I Like the Way You Move was also huge at yes. the time. Yes, it um, was. And they and they were both big simultaneously. Yes. That's they, what was wild about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and then you had some other like really underrated songs like Reset uh, with Goody Mob on there uh, and, and several others, too. And Flip Flop Rock is still one of my go to workout jams. <laughs> you know, uh, nobody talks about nobody talks about that song enough because it's it's like I feel like I'm going to run across somebody, some uh-huh. kid in 10 years. And they're going to be like, hey. What if Outkast and Jay Z would have done a song together? Right. And I'm like, right. oh, what if you say they did? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's like peak out, peak Jay Z, peak Killer Mike. You know, that's 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 right. Killer Mike was on it too. Yeah, yeah, and that's actually not the first time they collaborated either. Those three. Oh yeah. I believe the first one was what popping tags off of Jay Z's Blueprint Two album, I believe. Um but yeah, the people slept slept on big boys. But I think now in 2016, uh, when people look back um, on a retrospect, they see that Speaker Box might have been the, the better of the two albums. Um, but like I said, I love both of them. Which you know, out of what four Outcast albums that had come out at that time, mm-hmm. it was the weaker of the four. I but agree. even then, you could argue that it's a classic album. Which is crazy. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, for me personally, I've always put them on a totally different level than most other artists that I enjoy because they just they weren't like anybody else. And I feel like it's not even fair to call them trendsetters because nobody could really duplicate what they were right. doing at any right. time. They, 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 they were just on a totally different level, especially when you compare them with other rappers from 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 the south um and i i, I kind of lump goody mob in with outcast as well because i feel sure. like goody mob never got their just due and oh, c and, right. and CeeLo kind of did you know doing his own thing and i, yeah, I think that kind of made up but for it, it but it was it was kind of uh you know detached from his, his yeah. dungeon family work and you know he, he didn't get his credit because of that stuff really i feel like no, but they, they all of them, the whole collective, they to me they were just on a different planet. And like I, I, I like guys like TI. Um I mm-hmm. like Jeezy for a time and, and, and they're great at their own thing. But to sure. me Outcast was just in a diff Outcast Dungeon Family was just in a in a different stratosphere. Um Yeah. They're um, in a, yeah, you I, I completely agree with that, just in terms of the way the way they approached um, the music, I feel like, um, is is something that you didn't see a lot. And I'm not even just talking about region. I'm talking about period and hip hop. Right, right. uh, this is why I, I get I get a little emotional when I try, when people try to suggest that some some of these other great rap groups were better than Outkast. Which I guess you can make arguments here or there. I don't or think so. Against, but me personally, myself, and I, <laughs> uh, Outkast is numero uno. Um, just because nobody was able to take it to the level that they took it. Um, Outcast hit a different dimension when they were at their peak. Uh, when you think about albums like Equimini and some of the songs that they put on there, what other rap group can make a liberation? You know? And have it sound good. Right. Or, or Spodioti Dopalicious. Oh, my God. Like, right, right. Like they, didn't, they didn't even rap on either one of those two songs, and those are two of my favorite songs in their catalog. Yeah. 
so uh, that, just just the storytelling on uh on Spodio Dopalicious. I I don't even know if it's true, but like <laughs> when you hear when you hear exactly. now who else want to mess with Hollywood courts? It's like yes. Exactly. That is it. Like you can see something like that happening. It's just so perfectly told, you know. And it all blends perfectly. Right. Tell it, man. Look, <laughs> it's a, it's. I mean, it's that, and that's 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 the beauty of it. Just how vivid the stories were that they told throughout all of these albums. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Spodio the Dopalicious is is a perfect example of that. I mean, the horns are still being used. Beyonce's used it twice in her in her last two albums. <laughs> You know that's iconic. That is absolutely iconic. Yeah, and it's um, I, I think the whole origin story, and they kind of went through it in the art of organized noise doc. But it's <laughs> it's just so wild to me to think that um, just these regular dudes, man. You know, these regular dudes could seemingly come from out of nowhere, right? And all be so talented, um, and not just at a good level, but at an elite level, and somehow it all it all comes together and. You get great music, which is what we got from the um the Outcast catalog. But I got a I got a hot take for you. Uh oh. Okay. And I, and I know and I, and I love Outcast. All right. I love Outcast, mm-hmm. the group. But if we're talking mm-hmm. about individuals from the Dungeon family, mm-hmm. CeeLo takes the CeeLo takes the cake. If if you're just talking about individual success, uh huh. To me, it's it's CeeLo by far. I think as an individual, uh-huh. he surpassed what anybody else did. Um, it, it, as far as as far as again in, in individual impact, I think he's far and away the most successful. You could definitely argue that. I guess it's the the tough part is just because of what I said earlier. He has reached that, but it, it feels so disconnected from his his DF work um, that it, I almost don't relate the two. But but yeah, CeeLo's come out with what probably what four or five solo albums by now. Um, he's he's been a host on one of those what the voice shows or whatever it's called. Um, he's had huge hits. Um, but it's, 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 again, it's just tough for me because (sighs) CeeLo isn't, he's a great singer, especially to be a rapper, but he's also, he doesn't get enough just due for his rapping ability. I feel like, um, as a rapper, CeeLo has, has, has created some of the best verses that I've ever heard. Um, you know, his verse on Still Standing, I had that on repeat when I graduated from college. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, I mean, you could definitely argue that as an individual, CeeLo could be the most impactful one. But, uh, it, you know, if you're having a conversation about who was the best in the Dungeon family, that's a whole right, different right, conversation. Right. And, I, and I'm glad you made that distinction because I don't want anybody to get mad. I'm not saying he was the best. Right. I'm just saying as an individual. He he was the most successful, but I I don't agree that he was the best. Um, do you feel like there's anybody in Goody Mob who gets overlooked? Like like personally for me, I feel like I feel like nobody knows who Big Gip is, and nobody did until he did that uh, song with Nelly a few years back. You remember that? Yeah, I think Gip is underrated. Um, and uh, you know like Cujo and Timo, mm-hmm. I think they play their position well. Um, I don't think they were. I didn't really care for them too much once they tried to branch off and do the solo or duo thing. Some people don't but, need to do that. Yeah, yeah, but but as members of Goody Mob, their ingredients were just as important in the gumbo that made their music. Um, you know, Cujo with his presence on the track and Timo with the energy that he brought <laughs> mm-hmm. in so many songs, man. Um, but yeah, I, I think out of out of the out of the the group Goody Mob. 
I mean, CeeLo, he's pretty much gotten his due itself for just the fact that as a rapper, people kind of sleep on him. But Some big, people don't, yeah. don't even know that. Don't even yeah, know yeah. When you, when you say CeeLo was a rapper, uh, some people are like, what? Mm-hmm. Like, how, how did that happen? <laughs> but but I, but I also kind of think about, too, you know, their heyday was 20 years ago. So today's generation that, you know, say you're, you're talking to an 18-year-old, um, CeeLo's last album that he was doing a lot of rapping on was what? CeeLo Green, The Soul Machine? Yep. That was my freshman year in college, you know? Bygone, um, bygone days, man. Yeah, yeah. So they were they were like they were five years old <laughs> at that time. So they had no way of knowing what you know CeeLo was able to bring to the table unless somebody introduced that to them. Well, I think it's like um, what Will Smith became for a lot of people. It's like, wait, the actor? What do you mean he used to be a rapper? You know, right. where, where there's there's a whole generation that has no concept of that. Obviously, to a um, to a much on a much smaller level, you know, when you're talking about CeeLo, but still kind of the kind of the same theory where you have one generation that knows this guy for primarily one thing and then the next that has no concept that it ever even happened or existed. It's kind of kind of fascinating when you think about it. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. One thing that I think you'll appreciate that mm-hmm. was brought up uh at the well, it it wasn't brought up in, in the documentary, but it made me think about it when they were doing some of the interviews. Uh mm-hmm. to me the difference between Organized Noise, uh, Dungeon Family, uh, when you compare them with Jermaine Dupree and Dallas Austin, who are also out of Atlanta. Um, and I, I think it's funny because Organized Noise, uh, Outkast, Goody Mob, they weren't the first mainstream music acts to come out of Atlanta. Right. Because right. Jermaine Dupree was doing stuff years before them at a high level, but for as much as he wants to act like he did now, I look back on it and I'm like, you would have never known Chris Cross was from Bankhead by looking at <laughs> the act. You would have never known. That is true. That is true. And even with um with TLC, like the Atlanta thing wasn't really played up much, if at all. So why you have these people who after it's like Dungeon Family made it cool to be from the South. Okay, now you want to come out with Welcome to Atlanta. You know, uh-huh. now, 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 now you're Mr. Uh, you know, so, so deaf. Uh, you know, let's put a big billboard right outside of Hartsville. But 92, 91, they weren't really saying anything about that. And I, to me, it's like Jermaine Dupri and Dallas Austin felt like the tourist trap when you're talking about visiting places. Jermaine Dupri and Dallas Austin were the tourist trap. And organized noise was like that local restaurant that people who are really from the area know about, and everything wow. else is just like, ah, okay, that's that's like the billboard, but that's really not the spot where you want to go if you want to find out what we're really all about. Right, that is a a very accurate metaphor, very accurate. Um, and yeah, you know, Jermaine Dupri and company, obviously they made their impact, um, but I think when it comes to when you look back at that time period of the 90s um, and you think about who exemplified Atlanta and, and what it meant to be from the deep south right. and, and and be a, an amazing artist, uh, the first name that comes to mind to me is Dungeon Family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not to, to diss so-so death or anything, but it's just the way they, they presented themselves 
as as such you know unapologetically from the dirty south i mean even coining the term dirty south right um yeah this this is there's no denying that none yeah and i i just to me i just never felt like i felt like so so deaf happened to be based in atlanta but that was not until much later that was not really a part of their identity Sure. And sure. I just, I, I just, I just don't think it's fair now for them to kind of take claim to that. Like, oh yeah, well you know we were part of the Atlanta scene too. Where it's like, well yeah, technically you were, but not really. You know, because <laughs> like I said, it was like it's like I I look back and I listen to records and I look at interviews and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. And before Outcast dropped, nobody was claiming Atlanta so explicitly. Right, like nobody was like, like like I said, you look at crisscross album videos or its album covers and videos, and it's like simple stuff, like okay, let's throw them in like a, a Eagles jersey or like a Knicks jersey, and then you look at Southern Playlistic, and three thousand is wearing a Braves jersey in like the first three damn videos they did. I'm so glad you mentioned that because that was one of the key moments I feel like in that in that documentary about organized noise is they. That I really appreciated them spotlighting the importance of him wearing that Braves jersey in that video, um, because it, you know it was like announcing and proclaiming to the world, "Look, I'm I'm from ATL, I'm from Georgia, and I'm not ashamed about it. Right? I'm not gonna wear anybody else's jersey. No, we're from here and we're proud." Just a couple more notes that, I, that from the doc that I thought were weird. You remember when the one guy was like, um, it was it was the dude who said that he co-wrote Waterfalls, and he mm-hmm. said that the first Tommy heard it. It came on the radio while he was working at the Marriott. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, how shady is the music business to where you could be writing a song for the number one, probably at that time, the number one group period in all of music, but you still got to work your damn job at the Marriott. Right. Yeah that 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 surprised me too because I never heard that story of you know I didn't know who wrote Waterfalls or, uh-huh. or anything like that and just to. To, to see the person who wrote it talking about that story and how just, you know, working a regular nine to five and you wrote the biggest song in the country. <laughs> right. So be like, what the hell? Right. These people, is, you got people making, well, you know, I don't know who's making money off Waterfalls because we all know what happened with TLC. Yeah, that's true. That's true, too. <laughs> they certainly weren't getting no money off of it. Right, right. Um, you remember... Or do you recall uh, Pebbles being in this documentary? I was surprised to see her. Yeah, yeah, so, somewhat. I, I don't know a whole lot about Pebbles, but I, I know that she um, she has a very, I guess, quote unquote, shady legacy. Well, she was she basically she was the one who uh, masterminded TLC getting screwed out of that money. Oh well, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> but she she was in the doc, and, and she was uh, she was married to L.A. Reid. I guess that's where her organized noise connection came in. But she oh, tried okay. to act like she passed off. Outcast to L.A. Reid. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's just interesting how how people try to take credit for things. <laughs> well, it's like after the fact, everybody wants to say, "Oh, well, yeah, I was here for that, and I right. was the one who told so and so, and then they put them on." So, right, it's like you you run into a cat at the barber shop. Man, I used to cut their hair. It was me that told them that they could rap. It wasn't for me. You wouldn't see Outcast. <laughs> I think everybody's had a barber like that. <laughs> okay, sure it was you. <laughs> yeah man I, I was reading a story i guess it's probably a couple of years ago I, I think it was around their their 20th anniversary or something to that effect 
uh, and they were talking about how they got started um, being, when they had a different name. I think it was called Two Shades Deep. Yep. Um, and how originally CeeLo was supposed to be a part of the group and all this other stuff. Um, and it, it's just fascinating to, to, to hear that, that origin story like you were talking about earlier and just seeing how they ended up linking up uh, and becoming such a life-changing group. Do you think adding CeeLo to the group would have, how do you think that would have impacted Outkast as a whole? Better, worse, about the same? Uh, I don't think it would have been necessary, I put it that way. Um, I just think Outkast, as as we know them, was perfect. Um, having Andre and Big Boy play off of each other so nicely. I mean, mm-hmm. CeeLo, would, I think he would have fit just because he's kind of a blend of both. Um, right. But at the same time, it, it might have been too much. Uh, the you know he guest appearanced on on enough of their tracks to where I, I think we still got enough of the the Outcast and CeeLo experience without him having to be a part of the the group officially. Um, I mean, it would have been nice to think about maybe for an album, but I just don't think it was necessary. I think I think what you would have had would have been the O three O four Lakers. Yeah, exactly. like in theory, it's like, oh yeah, this, this think think of all this talent we have, but you know, in reality, there's only one ball to go around, and yeah, then you and start I, having egos get in the mix. And I don't, I don't think it would have been as good. I don't think it would have lasted very long, is what I should you, say. Yeah, and you also have to think about um, the impact that would have had on the rest of DF um, because if CeeLo's a part of Outcast, there is no Goody Mob. Oh no. Um, so, and if there's no Goody Mob, then you don't get. So many of the other songs that we've come to love, not just by Goody Mob, but just within the Dungeon Family period, um, including some of the Outcast joints. So I, I think it, it worked out for the best that that he was not a part of Outcast. But it, like I said, it's a nice thought. Um, but yeah, man, you got got me going going down memory lane thinking about so many of the songs that I love of them now. <laughs> What's your favorite Outcast album? Oh my gosh! Um, so. It's 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 always between AT Aliens and Equimini. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, for a while, it was AT Aliens, um, but then I, I started listening to Equimini again, and I say this all the time: Equimini is, is the flat out best rap album I have ever heard. Period. I will put it up against any rap album um, ever created, just because of the level that they took it. Um, uh, when I have, if I have to choose one. I'd say Equimini might be, I mean, they're both undisputed classics, obviously, but Equimini, I feel like it's like the slightly better album just because of the the, the different level that it hit. Um, but I can make an argument for why AT Aliens is better or also, you know, possibly my favorite album just because I played AT Aliens nonstop in college once I, I truly discovered it. Um, but it's just something about Equimini. And, and, and the best songs on there from Liberation, The Art of Storytelling, both of them, um, it's just it, it just hit a, it just hit something different to me. To make a sports analogy, mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like Aquemini is, I'll say Jordan around ninety two, ninety three, mm-hmm. when they won that third title. Just like mm-hmm. this is like this is this, this is it, you know. Mm-hmm. This is like their apex, um, and they they had great success after that. But to me, that was kind of the, between the middle of them rising up, mm-hmm. 
to be the top group and then them having, you know, maintained their status at the top group. So, again, like Jordan after that third title, um, to me, is kind of the equivalent of Outkast Equimini. Me personally, mm-hmm. I like AT Aliens. To me, that's that, that that's my favorite Outkast album um, because I appreciate groups at their peak, but I also appreciate having knowledge of groups like right before right. they got to that moment where you knew, okay, this is the best. Right, right. Yeah, as they're like on the rise, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, to me, there's there's something special about that, and I even like Southern Playalistic because you can tell that they weren't they weren't as polished as they would be. But there's also something special about that raw sound that it has. Oh and yeah, just, and just seeing that raw talent, you know. Absolutely, man. Uh, yeah, people don't give Southern Playalistic enough credit. I feel like because um, that was a, an amazing album in its own right. And I also think about how old these guys were. Yes, they created like they were what. 19 when they created southern playlist 18 19 i think it was i think it was like 18 19 and when they did players ball they might have been even younger than that yeah i think they were i think when they recorded players ball they were still in high school and before that when i know for sure they were still in high school they did um a song that i don't think was ever released as a single they did a remix of uh what about your friends with tlc exactly yeah i've heard that and they were rapping completely different yes i mean it's like it's like okay if i ever wonder what Outcast would have sounded like if they would have been like placed with a pop producer. Right. I feel like that would have been it, you know, because it, it was weird because it's almost like they had like a Run DMC vibe going on. Yeah, on, on they, were, they were they were rapping like the uh, was it the Fushnickens? I, I, I believe. <laughs> I, think, I think that was the song that I'm thinking about. Um, but, you know, the Iggy Iggy and all this other stuff. Uh, yes. But it, so I guess but, it's more like Jermaine Dupri. It's like it, okay, I got it. It's like if Outcast would have been crisscross. That's what it would have sounded like. Mm-hmm. Where they're yeah. just like playing off each other the whole time. Yeah, I mean they still ripped it. Don't get me wrong. Right, it's, just, it's a different style. They hadn't found their their style at that point yet. That's what I'm saying. So like, even it's like that. To me, I'm sorry, I'm eating Waffle House right now. But Yo, even even like um, if you gave them a corny premise, and it's like, all right, this is how we need you guys to sound because you know we need people to buy this record. Don't say nothing too crazy. They could still do well. Right. They re- I mean, that's that's greatness. That right. is great. And I think the reason why people don't give uh, Southern Playalistic is just due is because they just look at they they, they, they ignore the context that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and to make a another sports analogy, you know, it's the NBA finals. So I'm mm-hmm. basketball's on the mind. Sure, sure. To me, it's like if you look at if you look at LeBron's rookie season. Mm-hmm. In itself, in a vacuum, it's really nothing special. But when you take into account that the kid was playing high school ball a few months before, right, and then he's averaging twenty in the NBA, yeah, it's on a whole different level. And so, like you said, when you take into account that Southern Playlistic was was recorded by two eighteen year olds, well, it, it's mind blowing, especially when you put it in today's context and you right. think about the. You know, I'm not gonna be do the whole get off my lawn. All music today is bad stuff but um at the same time when i look at a, a lot of the i guess i'll say the the music that is popular anyway right that's being made by you know not just people that are in their early 20s but also you know 30 plus years old in rap in particular um it's not as mature <laughs> and thoughtful as even what outcast was putting out on their first album um, get up get out was on the first album exactly Exactly. How crazy uh-huh. is that that you got two two teenagers who made that song? Right. 
it, it really is mind blowing when you think about it that way. Um, but yeah, I, I love Southern Playlistic for that, and just like I said, the, the rawness of it. Um, I, I still find myself rapping it word for word, not even while playing the music, just randomly in my car. Um, you know, ready from the get go. Y'all hear my sh- go with Andre? You know, that's 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 an amazing in line. Yeah. <laughs> that oh man, and that I, I think that was I think that was a perfect way to lead off that album mm-hmm. because um. It just hit so hard, man. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. Ain't no thing but a chicken wing, man. Um, but yeah, I mean, Southern Playlistic. But yeah, I guess when I think about it, ATL ends might be my favorite still. Yeah. Uh, um. Uh. But I I, th- I consider Equimini the best one. But it's one of those things you you could really make an argument for any of their their first uh, four albums in particular. I feel like. Um. You know, and, and some can make an argument for Speaker Box to Love Below, even though they probably be, They'd be wrong. wrong. <laughs> um, That'd but be a bad Stank, argument. Yeah, um, I didn't appreciate Stankonia at first when I when I first started listening to it, but now that I've gotten a little older and you know I've expanded my musical palette a bit, mm-hmm. uh, and I can appreciate more the funk that they you know put in that album and the experimentation. Uh, I appreciate Stankonia a lot too. Now you know it had a couple of misses here and there. It had too many skits and all that other stuff. Yeah, but too um, much filler. Yeah, but overall, it, it's still an amazing album um, for the direction that they were trying to go in. Well, I think the, to me the thing that's special about Stankonia is that they were still they were very much mainstream by that point. Yeah, but it still felt like Outkast. It didn't feel like they had sold out. You know, right. It was like they're staying true to themselves, but they found a way to make it work for a bigger audience, which I thought was cool. Right. By the time Speaker Box Love Below his, as we talked about earlier, I felt like that was gone. To me, that to, to, to me, Speaker Box Love Below was like the okay, we've done our thing. Now let's go get some money. <laughs> which I mean, I, which I respect because you know, I mean, b- bottom line, they got to make a livelihood. So I, I'll never, I'll never be mad at anybody for doing something. Um, after you've done a lot of a lot of work that's really true to yourself and true to your audience, I'll never get mad at anybody for going out and trying to make some money as long as you're not you know talking crazy, you know. Sure. But just 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 from my perspective, speaker speaker box love below felt like the let, let, let's go get rich album. I got you. I I guess I look at it a little bit differently, but I, I can't argue too much with it just because I mean it, it was definitely more more palatable for the mainstream. But I just. When I was, it still felt like very much outcast to me. Um, even though, like I said, it's it, it still was a little bit more accessible, I guess, in that way. But I, I still felt like they were being true to themselves for the most part. Um, just from, I guess, from a perspective of they both were still being very experimental, uh, and it was still a very, it's very much an artistic risk. I feel like um, when you look at Love Below. Nobody was really making that type of music at the time. It wasn't like they were following trends. You know what I'm saying? Definitely not. Um, it, it wasn't like Big Boy or, or Andre were saying, "Okay, we're going to go out and get this money by making an album that you know everybody else is also making." This is the hot sound right now. They were not doing that, um, and it just so happens that what they ended up with is something that people could vibe to. But it was still kind of uncharted territory. Um, you, you listen to like Speaker Box. I mean that that album was so funky. Um, and some of the sounds and, and the, the production that he used on that, uh, you didn't really hear that type of 
music and, and, and rap, especially you got to remember 2003. This is the height of the crunk era, man. <laughs> I mean, he, yeah. Now, now, true enough, he had Little John on the album too on, on Last Call, but even that didn't sound like a crunk song. <laughs> um, so they they were doing something that was still completely antithetical to what uh, the rest of the music scene was doing at the time. It just so happened that it became popular. I think. I think my opinion comes more so from the singles that were released, which, I mean, to an extent, singles are always going to be the ones that appeal to the masses. So I can't really fault them for that. But I guess when I when I don't dissect Speaker Box Left Below uh, for albums as a whole, but rather individual parts, the most popular ones, Hey Ya, especially, um, and even to a certain level, um, the way you move to me, like I said, it just it just felt like the. Let's go get some money album, but still good nonetheless. Um, you like Idlewild? What's your I, honest I, opinion well, of Idlewild? Man? My honest opinion of Idlewild, it's my <laughs> least favorite album of Outkast. Um, I, I think it was okay. Like I said, I, I don't think it's as bad as some people made it out to be. Um, but it's it's overall, as an as a overall project, I would say it's forgettable. But it did have some songs on there that I still go back to. I liked, I liked uh, Morris Brown. Morris Brown, uh, Hollywood that was, that Divorce. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Hollywood Divorce is good too. Yeah, the train, which mm-hmm. was pretty much just a big boy solo song, I believe. Um, and, and there were a couple others too. Uh, like I said, there were very few songs that I thought that were absolutely whack on there. It was just as a project, I felt like it was too dis- disjointed because I couldn't figure out what it was really trying to do. <laughs> Well, you know, Morris Brown actually wasn't even made for that album, if I, or the beat wasn't, mm-hmm. I think, if I remember correctly. There, there was some part of it that was not supposed to be on that album. And I, I think when you say it's disjointed, that really hits the nail on the head. Because to me, it felt like they were still trying to do like solo records. Yeah. But it just happened to be on one album this time, on one disc instead of two. But to me, it still, it still felt like they were trying to be two different artists. Right. And I'm like, okay... Is this an Outcast album or is it not? And I think they yeah. couldn't really figure that out. And it feels like the only reason that it was was so they could promote the movie. That's a that's an accurate description. Because when I when I look back and think about the songs on there, there, I don't think there were a whole lot that that had both Andre and Big Boy rapping at the same time. Well, it felt like okay, there was um, and I, the only reason I, I can recall this is because I have the Wikipedia page pulled up right now. Sure. So Mighty O had both of them on it. Uh, sure. Let's see. Hollywood Divorce did as well. Um, th- th- those are the two that I remember off the top of my head. And it looks like those might have been the only two. Maybe there was one or two more in there. But there there, there weren't very many. And it it just felt like um like they like by that point, they were done being a group. They were like, you know what? This is we're we're we're, we're done as a collective. But. For the sake of this album, for the sake of the movie, we'll just brand this as an Outcast album, but it's really not. So to me, Idlewild is like when in the late seasons of Martin, uh, Martin and Tisha Campbell couldn't stand each other so much to the point where even though they were in the same episode, they were actually not being filmed at the same time. Right. Right. And that's what Idlewild felt like. It's like, I know I know y'all weren't in the studio together at the same time and I can't prove it, but I can just tell by the way this sounds. Right. That they might have happened to throw y'all on these tracks together. But there was no kind of collaboration going on. Yeah, yeah, I can I can tell that too. And I, I think if I I'm trying to remember, I can't 
remember for sure if the the documentary touched on this, but I, I thought I remember hearing somewhere or reading somewhere that by the time Stankonia rolled around, Andre and Big Boy had already started recording uh, in, in different spots in, in in some ways. So that's crazy. You know, I think that was the beginning of that. I don't want to call it a rift because, you know, I, I don't know. I think they were still cool overall, but just in that separation, I guess. Well, um, I look at it like this. How many how many of your friends that you had from high school remain friends up to your um to like your mid thirties? Right. Exactly. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Um Yeah, yeah. And they, I mean, think about how much music they've given us. Um regardless of the fact that I will never see another Outcast album again. Um, but they've given us more than most groups as a duo. Do you, uh, do you want another Outcast album? And we'll kind of we'll wrap things up from there. Do you, do you want another one? Do I? That's, that is a great question. Um, define another Outcast album. When you say another Outcast album, are you talking Big Boy and Andre in the studio together with yeah. Organized Noise production? Exactly. I kind of do. And I say that because if they put it out, I would definitely listen. But I, but the other side is I'm good with what they've already given us. Um, they've given us plenty of music that I'll remember for the rest of my life. And I'm worried that if they put out another one, it wouldn't quite resonate as much because they're in two different spaces right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they're both in a much different space than they were, obviously, when they last made their album together. For sure. Um, so I, I'm just I, I'm curious about what that would sound like and what they'd be rapping about because uh, we know that a lot of rappers that have in their late 30s they've kind of struggled with that <laughs> Jay-Z yeah Jay-Z um, you can go down the list <laughs> so I, it'd be I, mean, I, I will say this though to Big Boy's credit um, he's continued to put out music and solo albums that I've all, I thought all of them were at least solid but it's always go goes back to that. Oh man! But it feels like something's missing. <laughs> I loved Sir Lucius Left Foot. Oh yeah, I did too. I, I did loved too. it, and I can. And it made me mad though because of what you just mentioned. It's like imagine if Three Thousand was on here too. Exactly. That's the only thing that was missing. Only thing. Sad times, man. But um, like like you said, I think we can definitely be grateful for what Outcast, Organized Noise, Goody Mob. And all the rest. Bubba Sparks was in the Dungeon family, technically. You remember that? I actually do. I, I have forgotten he was a part of the, the Dungeon, or at least affiliated anyway. I don't know whether he was official or not. But Damn, man, we we didn't even mention the... Did, did you have Even in Darkness? You know what? I didn't. I didn't. I've listened to it, but I, I never... I just remember when it dropped in, what, 02? Yeah. Um, Trans DF Express is still one of my favorite <laughs> joints by them. I love Trans DF Express. Yeah. Um... Yeah, even in darkness was jamming, and then you you had a lot of the offshoots like Cool Breeze, Watch for the Hook is still one of my favorite mm-hmm. rap songs. Period. Um, you know they they all they all came with it on that track, but yeah, I mean they had so many different, but yeah, so many offshoots of the, the Dungeon Family Tree um, that it was amazing. But yeah, I forgot about Bubba Sparks who mm-hmm. who had a, a a very promising solo career too, by the way, uh, until. Until he went the new booty route. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah, um, but Deliverance was an amazing album, amazing album um, for Southern 
like that southern country rap aesthetic um especially him having a unique perspective as kind of cornering the market on like redneck rap so to speak for lack of a better phrase uh it was a really a really well done album really well done um and then some bad advice at some point yeah he did um he he tried to go for the pop money with the yin yang twins and he was never heard from again on that on that front but and neither were they and neither were they yeah yeah good stuff as always with emmanuel thank you again for your time um I'm going to go listen to, to some ATLs now. Oh, I am too. And let me also, before I end this, I got to give a shout out to, to Ray Murray too. The, you know, we didn't mention him as part of organized noise. And he that, barely that, talked. Yeah, he barely talked. Um, but they, but they, they did kind of spotlight the, the role that he played, um, the integral role that he played on a lot of their production. And, you know, I, I guess that's part of a reason why we, a lot of people forget about him. Cause he's, he's not visible like a, sl- a sleepy Brown. Um, but he definitely played a huge role as well. Um, but yeah, man, I, I can talk about Organized Noise and Outcast and Dungeon Family all day. <laughs> all day and day. And day. Yep. <laughs> That's it. Thanks, man. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate everything, man. Yeah. I'm looking at the man right now. Looking at the man right now. It's the man right now. Looking at the man right now. Looking at the man right now Said we was coming and they see we wasn't playing right now We ain't playing right now Say I won't make it with up as you saying right now You saying right now I'm the man right man